The mission publishes the number one newsletter for accelerated learning. Learn from the best and brightest by joining our community at themission.co. On this episode of the Mission Daily, Carl Paoli joins us in studio. Carl is a world-class gymnast, a globally recognized leader in human movement, a strength and conditioning coach, successful entrepreneur, and the author of a New York Times bestselling book called Freestyle. In this episode, we talk about Carl's personal story, how he builds and maintains a mindset necessary for high performance, how he deals with haters, and we discuss the power of asking yourself the really hard but important questions. So stay tuned until the end of the episode to find out why he did a handstand in the studio. Let's jump into it. Carl, what's up? How's it going, man? It's going awesome. Thanks for adjusting and finally getting out here. That's, yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, I live uh, 45 minutes up north in oh, the city, cool. so I'm, it's super easy. And I, I felt like it's better to do it in person than over Skype. I appreciate that. Yeah, in person is always so much better. You can look at the person, establish a connection. So I'm right there with you. What's exciting for you right now? Man, everything is really exciting at the moment. I've been working a lot lately. I'm on the road constantly and teaching seminars all over the world and workshops. And uh, now it's really exciting because I feel like finally after 15 years of being on the road and working really hard, people are, are starting to get that it's more than your actions, it's what's behind it and the intention. And there's an opening, especially in the fitness scene, where people are ready to talk about self-development, about their mission, Love it. Uh, what is it they're trying to really accomplish with this? And really cool conversations are happening. And it's really going to define the future of business development within the scene, uh, sure. brand development in terms of the philosophy that's behind everything that we do, regardless of the methodology. There is a need for communicating more effectively and efficiently and ultimately asking ourselves some hard questions that may make us feel a little uncomfortable, but will get us to a point where I think we're really going to become fit for more than just the physique. I love that. So you ask about, or you mentioned anyways, about hard questions. What's an example when you're working with a group of the first hard question that you present to everybody? Yeah. The, the, the easiest question is for what? Gotcha. And you can say, ah, you know what? I just want to lose some weight. Great. For what? Well, if I lose some weight, I think I'll have more energy. For what? Well, you know what? I realize I'm kind of tired when I'm around my kids and I wish I could be more present. Oh, for what? Well, because, you know, when I grew up, I didn't have my parents around and I want my kids to have it. Oh. That's genius. So you're kind of triangulating to the why, the, the root of everything. So what's your why for what you do? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great question. Actually, uh, a few years back when I started getting traction on YouTube and people started following my work and social media was starting to really happen, I felt like I wanted to present my brand to the world. And I remember going to Twitter headquarters and talking to one of the executives. He asked me, so, so what are you all about? And I was like, you know, physical development and I want to teach people how to move better. He's like, but why? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I just drew a blank. Yeah. And that stuck with me because he had this reaction where he said, you have really no business growing if you don't know what you're about. 
and some candid advice. <laughs> yeah, and I just I just felt like, man, I was on top of the world, and all of a sudden, this guy. At first, I was like, he's an idiot. Yeah, uh, I don't like him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But that stuck with me, and I started thinking about it a lot, and and went through many different transitions in my life, which we can get into in a little bit. But ultimately, it came down to all I want to do is do what I do best, which is bring the best out of people at the Very same cool. time that I do it for myself. Yeah. That's it. Man, that's really, really exciting. So people heard in the intro a little bit about you and your backstory and everything. But when you meet somebody like myself or our team, and maybe we're not familiar with your backstory or what you do, how do you describe that? Yeah, that's a great Great question. I mean, ultimately, people who recognize me for my work, they see me as someone who grew up doing artistic gymnastics, trying to make it to Olympics, failed, fell into fitness, and happened to have the tools and skills and excitement behind him to provide and add value to the community. That's how people see me. That being said, what I've always felt is that what I'm presenting to the world are, is only 10% of what's really going on. Hmm. And that's the physical practice. That's that 10%. It's the tip of the iceberg. Right. But what's behind it is the emotional and mental side of things and who you really are and how you fit into this bigger picture. So yeah, that's what's behind it in terms of the story. And then there's always parallels be between your personal uh, belief system, the way that you live your life, whether it's in your family and friends or ultimately expressed in your business. And yeah, that's what I'm finding now is that alignment of the other 90% sure. is what's really coming to the surface. And yeah, it's, it's quite exciting actually. Alignment feels great. So we're at a place personally, you know, professionally with the business, with family life and everything where things are really starting to click. And I just, I can't even describe that feeling, but it's just such a relief. It feels good. You feel as that alignment starts to happen in your life, what's it feeling like for you? I mean, it feels uh, amazing. It feels like things are flowing and everything is an up and down. Sure. Like yesterday I was I was at dinner with my wife and uh, with my kid and I was I was telling my wife, I'm like, ah, oh, man, we had a kind of a bad day of sales today. And, you know, I was just thinking in the micro and, and she kind of just like nodded and was listening. And, and my kid who was sitting across the table was like, there's always tomorrow, dad. <laughs> I was like, that's right. Wise, wise words. <laughs> Thank you very much. But yeah, it, you get these ups and downs, but ultimately what happens is that when I go to bed at night, I know exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And whatever numbers I am seeing today have nothing to do with what I'm feeling. And this is something I've always said is that true human performance is based on feeling. Sure. When it feels right in your head and you're in your heart and your gut, you're trending in the right direction, the numbers will follow. More wise words. Yeah, that's really cool. So you mentioned you got an early start at gymnastics. When did you first start getting into the gym or going to classes and learning that? Yeah, so I, I got into gymnastics. I grew up in Spain and uh, I got into gymnastics as part of a, an after school program that my mom put me in. My dad was a gymnast and I wasn't really into soccer and stuff like that. And she's like, well, there's a little gymnastics program twice a week, maybe you can go to this thing. It was an hour after school. And I, I got pretty good at it. And eventually that led to competing and competing led to uh, becoming part of a new team. And that team led me to become part of a club. And from the club, eventually I got into 
kind of the the path towards the Olympics. And that's where my mind was at. And and this was at a very young age. So by the time I was eight, I was yeah, on that path. Wow. And that's a hyper tracked path, right? There's a a lot of people I imagine that start gravitating around you and coaching and offering to help. Did that feel like a lot of pressure at the time or was it still playful like you didn't mind it? Yeah, I really didn't mind it. Where I started feeling it was at the age of 13, a program in Spain started there. There was funding for a, an Olympic kind of rapid pathway to the Olympics. It kind of started and, and they were trying to find gymnasts around the country because gymnastics is not a very popular thing. It's not very funded. So they were just looking for gymnasts. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I got picked and chosen to be a part of this. And and this was when I, I think it was the age of 13 or 14, I signed like my first contract Wow. where you become a semi-professional. Everything is funded, doctors, physical therapists, psychologists, uh, coaches, uh, travel, clothes, everything. Wow. So that was the first time I felt like, oh, wow, this is this is something bigger than myself. Sure. But... I didn't feel like it was pressure necessarily. I was the one putting the pressure on myself. Yeah. And you were already aware of it that, at that point that you were the taskmaster in a sense? 100%. Yeah. And and I realized that I didn't have necessarily the, the natural talent that I had to really work for it. And where I struggled at that time was where do I put the effort into my practice? And I still am not fully sure where I maybe went wrong. Maybe it was that I didn't have the natural talent or maybe it was that I didn't get the right coaching at the right time or maybe I just didn't have the mindset for it. Maybe I wasn't even ready. But whatever it was, I got out of that time of being 14 and being a semi-professional gymnast, the notion that you can't really beat hard work and you really can't beat it if you're passionate about it. And I was definitely passionate about it. Yeah. So you're building that work ethic and everything. And before we move forward, I got to take it back one more time to something I think is really interesting. You're in a culture that is obsessed with football, might be a fair statement. Why didn't you gravitate towards that? Is, is there anything that stuck out in terms of what made gymnastics appealing or why you said no to the traditional path? Yeah. You know, I was all about the cool factor. <laughs> I wanted something yeah. that looked cool. Yeah. I remember watching gymnastics and thinking, oh man, these guys can fly. And I don't know if you've ever been on a trampoline, but you've never seen a sad person on a trampoline. No, no. <laughs> right. So my mom put me into gymnastics at a very early age. And some of the first times I was walking, I was on one of the assisted trampolines that I think older people use a lot now. And I'm like smiling, having a great time, but right. it's so much fun. Yeah. It's so much fun. And eventually it becomes so fun that you start seeing it everywhere. I was daydreaming about this. It's all I cared about. Yeah. And it, for me, it was way cooler to fly than to be on the ground trying to get a ball in a goal. So that's kind of how I felt for it. And the only time I started realizing that it was different was when people started making fun of the outfits. And yeah, so the, the culture of the aesthetic of gymnastics just didn't fit into the rough, like macho pretty soccer. Thre pretty threatening to a lot of people. Yeah, very. Yeah. And did you experience haters early on or did that come in your teenage years? When, when was your first encounter with, I guess, meanness, basically, from that, from your choices, from your inspiration? Yeah, great question. Actually, I thought about this not too long ago because I felt like, man, I don't 
think I've had a lot of haters, like yeah. big haters. But I remember I was, I was 17. I had just transferred into a new school and I was sitting in a new classroom and uh, a girl that was sitting in front of me, we were just talking back and forth. She seemed super friendly on day one. Day two, she turned around and she, she looks at me and she's There's like, a set up. <laughs> seriously, day two, she turns around. And she's like, hey, Carl, when, when you look at yourself in the mirror, do you like what you see? And I was like, yeah, I love it. And she's like, man, you're full of yourself. And she turned her back on me. And I was like, man, what? Yeah. I thought that was normal. Yeah. And that's when I realized that maybe there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Oh man, am I totally delusional? Am I maybe not great? Is is that what it is? And and that's where my confidence started kind of tumbling a little bit. And then fast forward years, I, I realized, okay, this is not me, is I'm simply becoming a mirror for other people to see themselves. And when they don't see what I see, there's a void. And yeah. they have a couple options. They can move towards it, they can move away from it like she did, or they can move against it. And it hasn't been since social media really came up that I felt that kind of the more violent approach to moving against what people feel uncomfortable with when it comes to seeing themselves. Do you feel like mindsets like that girl exhibited are contagious? Do you feel like that type of doubting or self-critique or wanting to tear other people down or instill doubt in them? Do you view that as a virus? Do you view that as a cry for help? How do you think about that now? Yeah, I've experienced a couple of uh, burns in my professional career, especially in the last 10 years. And I've sat on this for a while where you realize that people who don't feel good tend to gravitate to other people who don't feel good. So you could say it's a virus, but I, I think it's more a habit. Right. Becomes a coping mechanism maybe over... Yeah, for sure. It's it's something that you you feel like it's like misery once Loves. once company. Yeah. yeah, it just it's something that just happens. And I guess if life just doesn't get in their way, it can grow and grow and grow and eventually become something really negative. But I think for the most part, life tends to throw us uh, a little curveball, and all of a sudden we are forced to look at ourselves. Have there been any instances where life's thrown you a curveball and you maybe thought you were your mindset was impervious to that type of negative conditioning and you realized maybe, no, I've fallen into the negative trap? Or, you know, do you have any advice for people that are ready to face the fact that they're being negative or Yeah, it happens many times. <laughs> it's happened my whole life. I've I've caught myself having negative self-talk and this is something that Thankfully, I've had the ability to address really quickly. And I've also had the people around me from my parents, my siblings, my friends, now my wife, even my kid that can look at me and get me to wake up and, right. and realize that, hey, Carl, you're fine, actually. What, what you're telling yourself is not true. And I can show you right here. So yeah, I've experienced that many times. The one thing that I have experienced is that the more that I have been able to grow that way and snap out of those negative moments, the more people around me start moving and start changing. And unfortunately, some for the worse, where actually it becomes an even more negative path for them. 
simply because now they actually have to go down the path of self-exploration. So yeah, I've definitely had that. And what I would say is just simply check in with yourself. It's as simple as that. And one of the things that I've done is I've, I kind of started this initiative last year that I called the Be Proud Project. And it's this notion of appreciating what you have. And I talk about it at different levels, but it's basically taking inventory of who you are, what your personal qualities are, your achievements, what you've done, what's in your possession, things that you own. I mean, and it can be as basic as right now we're sitting here talking to each other and you have this mic here. Okay, you, you own this mic, you have a car, you have a house. Ownership, sure. what do you have ownership of? What's in your possession? And then ultimately your relationships. And asking yourself, honestly, are you proud of those things? And if you don't know if you're proud or not, just imagine yourself putting everything that you wrote down on that piece of paper on display for the world to see. If there is a moment of hesitation or shame or you wanted to pull back, there is something that needs to be reconciled. And here there's an opportunity to move towards it rather than against it or away from it, which is using like the Ho'oponopono, the Hawaiian Ho'oponopono, as you may have heard of before, which is very simple, which is saying, first, I'm sorry, which direct translation of I'm sorry to Spanish is lo siento, which is I feel it. Hmm. So yeah. feel it first. Second of all, saying, I appreciate it. And this is not saying thank you or exercising gratitude, but I appreciate it, meaning I see the growth that exists within it. Appreciation, right. just like if you buy a home, you hope that it appreciates, right? Right. So appreciation, and then ultimately saying that you love yourself or I love you, which is another expression for moving towards it, stepping towards it, stepping forward. And if you can reconcile on a daily, you can start the next day fresh. And you can continue to take inventory over and over and over again until you get to a point where you realize that you spend more time in a fluid state of peace and alignment rather than in a place of dissonance where things don't make sense. Mm -hmm. So for people out there that want to reconcile more or if you're thinking about how you're going to reconcile today or tomorrow, you know, for you, is it journaling? Is it taking a pause and just, you know, meditating for a moment? What does reconciling look like for you? Yeah, for me, it, it takes uh, various forms. Uh, one of them is moving. So for me, I love doing handstands. Yes. If you've ever done a handstand before and you've been able to hold it against a wall or freestanding, you know that you have to be fully present. Right. Blood <laughs> to the brain always helps that. <laughs> yeah. So knocking out a handstand and just holding it as long as I can, that changes things for me. Changes your physiology. It gets you, yeah. 100%. And there's a there's a huge release of, of, of dopamine just by getting that achievement and checking that box. Right. And then there's a release of serotonin that just makes you feel good. And so that's a great way for me. The other way, which people listening can't do a handstand <laughs> is in the morning first thing just start journaling and this can be five to ten minutes just you put a timer on 10 minutes let it rip yeah and so then all catch of your, a sudden catch your thoughts wherever they're at and just put it start putting it into the page yeah and then you just put that page away and you just kind of like oh that goes file into my little book and there's something about actually using a pen and paper not your screen oh sure yeah it's so different. Yeah. So you alluded and we mentioned uh, social media a little bit. You know, you have a great social media following and everything. Do you view that as something that is just par for the course? Do you like it now? What's your philosophy in terms of social media? I love it. And I think it's the best thing that's happened to me ever. 
Wow. Yeah. Strong so, words. So social media is is the most powerful tool that I've found to put the biggest mirror up for myself. Yeah. And to really prove how genuine I can be because the volume of people that come in through these channels is huge. So the influx is amazing and the feedback that you get is going to be rapid. <laughs> it's an understatement for sure. <laughs> right? So for me it's been amazing. Yeah. And I think one of the things that thankfully I I did well from the beginning was I just had this gut feeling that I had to speak the truth. Mhm. Mm and at first I didn't really know how to do it, but now slowly I'm able to communicate with the people that are on the other side of the screen and the way that I've done it is simply asking, "Hey, who are you?" Hit me up, DM me. And all of a sudden sparking a conversation and realizing that I have connections all around the world of people right. that want to host me, people that are interested in my work, people that I've impacted that I would have never known before yeah. and actually seeing almost 10 steps ahead what it is that I need to focus on right now to become a better version of myself and at the same time in my business and my family life and in my personal life make sure that I am working on the right things to make the impact that I want to make. What prompted you to reach out to people and start throwing that question to them? Or what gave you the courage to do that because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that don't want to ask that question for fear of what people might say. It kind of started happening in 2013, 2014. I was kind of at the the apex of my career where things were going really well. I got a book deal. The book came out. It became a New York Times bestseller. Freestyle, right? Freestyle, yeah. yeah. And I was I was traveling all around the world and Uh, it was super exciting but i was feeling really empty and i realized that i had created what i thought i wanted but i hadn't given everything that was really behind it to people in the process and maybe that was because of speed maybe it was because of lack of understanding and just lack of experience but that led to me feeling really empty Thankfully at the same time my wife and I we became foster parents and uh, we eventually adopted. Congratulations and, by the way I'm a father and it's it's wonderful so changed my life. Yeah, changed same. my life. So that was a big deal and then I realized all I care about really is connecting with people and I have tens of thousands of people reaching out to me why not connect with them? Yeah. They're and, already following you. They're already betting on you kind of Right. So yeah. that's what I did. I just reached out to them and I said, "Look, I'm just a guy trying to figure it out. You may see me as someone who figured something out, but that's just one thing. There are all these other things that I haven't figured out and I'm working on. What are you working on? What do you care about? Who are you? Why are you here? How can I help you? How can you help me?" And people will just pour out everything that they have. Yeah. Wise words again. So let's take it back to when you were 17. That was where we left you in your story. Mm -hmm. Where did you go from there as you transitioned into your 20s? What was that journey like for you? Yeah, so a couple of things happened around that time. When I was 16, I wanted to quit gymnastics, but there was something telling me I had to keep going. And it was actually the the Olympics in Atlanta in 96 that got me really excited about really pushing it. So I I continued pushing. I won a couple competitions and I was starting to grow, but once I got to the point of national team and going all the way, I just fell short. I gave it all I had, but I fell short and I decided, okay, it's time to shift gears here. And 
I uh, found myself uh, applying for school and I ended up studying environmental science where first I started with genetic engineering. And after being in the, the world of genetics, I, I transferred over to marine biology. And the only reason I transferred over to marine biology was because I was excited about wakeboarding and I want to be on the water. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I Sounds fun. Yeah, yeah it's just good fun. reason. It's cool. yeah. yeah. And then as I went through school, I was very determined to be the best. And it wasn't being the best in terms of getting good grades. I realized, oh, yeah, no one cares about the grades here. Because it's, it's not really going to influence what kind of job I get later on. So I just was like, I'm just going to be the fastest. So I, <laughs> I decided to go through my five years and four years. And I took that last year. I spent it here in the U.S. And I was actually an intern at the Marine Mammal Center up in Sausalito in That's the Marine Headlands. Place. Yeah, it was awesome. And I came out here, was an intern there, realized, okay, I kind of lied to myself. I don't really want to be a marine biologist. <laughs> And I don't want to write grants for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, man, I, I want to do something else. So I started coaching gymnastics. And I coached gymnastics to a young group of boys that were just practicing for fun. It was a wreck. And that led to coaching adults. And then adults led to fitness, becoming a personal trainer, taking a job at a health club in the city called Equinox, uh, which is a chain. I realized that I was good at selling. I was really good at selling personal training packages, became like the top seller in that in that world. Decided, well, why am I going to give these people 80% of my cut? I'm just going to start my own business. That's a pretty, yeah, that's a pretty big cut. Yeah. yeah. So in 2007, I, I decided I'll start my own company and I left and rented some space and started coaching people. And then eventually I, I found CrossFit and in CrossFit, there was this void of understanding when it came to the power of seeing movement beyond the technique and seeing how the value of that movement is transferable to every other aspect of your life, whether it's physical, emotional, or intellectual. And that's what I just moved right into. And the exciting part about that was that CrossFit was leveraging free media. So any social media platform, YouTube, and anything that popped up, they were leveraging. So I found this opportunity to really pursue another passion of mine, which was media. One of the reasons I actually stayed in the US after my first year of being here was because I was like, I want to be a movie star. <laughs> That's what I thought. So I, I, I got a little agent and I started doing local commercials for like Ford and it's stuff awesome. like that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. They're terrible. I hope no one ever, ever finds those. Thousands of people just Googled it. I'm, so, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can find my name in them, but. So fun tangent, I, I did a horrible uh, commercial for the military that was, uh, you know, it's whatever but it's it's out there as well so it's it's pretty corny and it was played on the radio and my family gives me a hard time every time i go back to maryland and it still runs six years yeah but it's, so it's funny it's fun but it's also like a little rough after a while it's a little rough yeah but what i was excited about was the power of distribution yeah that media has and i thought to myself man if i have something positive to add to this world why not why right. not lean into this? And CrossFit just happened to be doing it. And I happened to find my voice there. And it just really started taking off. And that's where I started getting the opportunity of really honing my kind of entrepreneurial tendencies and just running my own business and being a part of this movement, surfing this bigger wave. Do you consider yourself self-taught with entrepreneurship? Obviously, a lot of it is. But 
you mentioned learning sales at Equinox and other places. Were there any other mentors, resources, or books that helped you go from nothing to you know a successful business owner? Yeah, my my dad, number one, he has always had this entrepreneur in him. And I mean, I remember as a kid sitting in the back seat, riding to gymnastics, listening to Zig Ziglar and his motivational Born to uh, win. talks. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I mean, that was my first exposure to you can do anything. Yeah. And if you just do it, great things are going to happen. You're going to learn some things along the way. And I always felt like my gymnastics career was just a catalyst for that, which eventually led me to finding the world of action sports and realizing, wait a second, these people are really into their boards and their gear and equipment. So I thought to myself, you know what? I want to build something. Mm -hmm. So I started building wake skates. So a wakeboard, but with no bindings. Then I realized, wait, how am I going to sell this? No one here has a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Ambitious to say the least. (laughs) Totally, but I built a killer wake skate. That totally worked and I tried it and I was like, man, I'm I'm the man. can't sell a single unit, but I'm killing it. <laughs> but you had made something though. And that, yes. that experience of taking something from your mind, translating it to the real world and making it, was that transformative for you? Did that instill a sense of confidence? What was that like? It was huge. It was huge. I I, I realized once I, I built the wakeboard that I had to do something else. So I was like, oh, start a t-shirt company. And I called it, I called it Newt, which is <laughs> enjoy in Swedish, enjoy. <laughs> And and it was it was funny, but I was like, I made ten T-shirts, and I, I didn't know how to sell them. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, but that just the making of oh look at the logo. Yeah. Man, the message behind it isn't yeah. this cool? And like oh man, it's on a T-shirt that must be legit. Right. And, and that's where the learning really starts in entrepreneurship, right? When you're learning through doing or so awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, it feels amazing. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, twenty years later, I still feel the same way with every small thing. And this could be like. Just a few months ago, I was like, okay, I'm really going to learn Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. And I started going down that rabbit hole. And I it's love deep. It. Oh, man, it's so deep. But I love it. Yeah. It's incredible. From copy to what is the, the art supposed to be like? Is it images? Is, it, is sure. it videos? What are we supposed to be saying? How? Where does it fit? How does it fit? What are the analytics? And I love that stuff. So, yeah, that was super transformative at an early age. And then I've, I've been lucky to have people that have kind of seen, wait, Carl has something which may look like drive right now and raw talent. And he has the ability to learn things quickly. So people gravitated towards wanting to kind of hold my hand and see me succeed. So yeah, I had several mentors going through the whole process. And and I still today, I mean, just this morning, I was on the call with one of my advisors that he's my mentor and I basically report up to every month. He's kind of the chairman of the board. I'm yeah, going to report to sure. you. Yeah. And that is really, really helpful. How do you think about building your own personal board of advisors or for people that are out there listening that want to start taking their professional life or business life more seriously? What's the first step you might advocate? For them, yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it, it depends on who you are, of course. But right. for someone like myself, who is very futuristic, thinks very big, anything goes. You want someone who's not going to shut you down. Yeah, right. That's the first thing. Is that if you have someone that's saying, you know what, that's too hard. Right. Or mm, you should reconsider going to Mars. Probably not the right person to have around you. So that's number one. Having someone that won't shut you down. Number two, having someone that's willing to stress test things with you, meaning, hey, I'm going to challenge you on what you're saying. Yeah. 
So really getting someone to put up a little fight. Right. And and show you some resistance. So you want a mentor that's going to protect you too and not like, uh, you want learning through struggle and pain, but not too much pain. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then you want someone who's always going to surprise you. This is something that I say because at times we're looking for someone who's more like who we are, like ourselves. But I think it's important to think outside of the box and right. maybe go with a person that's a little eccentric or yeah. maybe like, I don't know if I could be friends with that person. Yeah. That person just may be the person you want to talk to. One of my favorite quotes is strategy is the art of being unpredictable. And I feel like it's sometimes hard to take advice from those people that are unpredictable. But when I have considered that advice and you know applied it and stress tested it, I usually get surprised and realize I didn't know as much as I think I did. And yeah, it's that's really fun. I so love he, that quote. Actually, I've never heard that Ed, quote. I love Edward it. Luddick, he's a, he was a genius from Maryland. He did a bunch of political advising and things like that. You mentioned your book, Freestyle. When you wrote the book or when you look back on it now, is there, if you had to pick just one thing or one story from the book, what's your favorite one? If I had to pick one- Doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite, but yeah, just, but just one. I would pick chapter 10, which is lifestyle. Okay. And the reason I would pick chapter 10, which is lifestyle is because I believe that's what we're all looking for. We're looking to live a lifestyle that is desirable, that is viable, meaning that we have the resources to live and that is ultimately feasible, is something that is possible. And to live in a space where we realize that we're in control of a few things and those things that we're in control of can help us design the lifestyle that we want right now and the one that we want going forward. So that's the one I would pick. Cool. And you also mentioned before we got on the mic that you're working on your second book. What stage of the process are you in? And yeah, what's going on with it? Yeah, this is the first time I'm actually saying it out loud. Oh, sorry. Are we allowed to? This is perfect. Okay, this cool. is perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm super excited. I actually just completed the, the first outline for it. And I'm like, okay, this is a solid outline. And I am in the first draft, basically. I'm just filling out the blanks. But I've been writing for the past five years, so it's all kind of coming together. And I hope within the next six to 12 months to have a lot of content that I can distill into something that hopefully this time lives at every airport. Cool. So we like to wrap up every interview with just a series of rapid fire questions. You ready to dive into it? Hit me, dude. Awesome. Favorite book? I'll pick Drive by uh, Daniel, Daniel Pink. Pink. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorites as well. Any apps on your home screen that you're, that you might say are your go-to apps first thing? Video Leap. Video Leap. Okay. Yeah, I'm not I, familiar. I love, I love editing video. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Do you have a social media team or is it, are you, do you do a lot of it? I'm the team. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, nice. everything social media that you see, I do, except for maybe a couple of things that maybe if it's a little ad or something that has to do with a seminar, sometimes I get help. Okay, favorite podcast or audiobook? Well, maybe this is my favorite podcast. I love now. it. That's the right answer. <laughs> cool. I, well, I really appreciate what Gary Vee is doing. I listen to all kinds of podcasts, so I couldn't I couldn't pick a favorite one. But Gary Vee is someone that I, I I think is pretty cool what he's doing, and I didn't appreciate him at first, but now yeah. I can I can value that. Cool. And if you had to pick a TV series or movie, anything come to mind lately that really stood out for you? I mean, The Goonies is, is one of my favorites. <laughs> okay. Uh, back to the Future and uh, Modern Times, Stranger Things, just because it pulls me back to that era. Yeah. The of. Duffer Brothers did an excellent job with that. And the music, they killed it. The, yeah. the wardrobe, they killed it. Yeah. That was it. nostalgia to the max. So cool. And if you and your wife are going on a date night, what are you usually doing or how do you reconnect, recharge together? Yeah, we go out for dinner 
usually at our favorite restaurant in San Francisco called Zazi. We st- sit in the patio and yeah, we just kind of look at each other and talk and and then we, we go home and uh, go to bed. Nice. Favorite vacation spots or places to get away? I love going to Sweden. Uh, my family's from Sweden, so I love going there. And Spain, where I grew up in Alicante, is awesome for beach and chill time. Carl, this has been awesome. If you had to leave our listeners with one thing, whether it's a piece of advice or just inspiration, what would you leave them with? Acknowledge what is true and alive in you and dare to pursue that relentlessly. I love it. And do a handstand. There you go. And do a handstand. (laughs) Awesome. This is awesome. Thanks so much, Carl. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. The Mission Studios creates custom media for world-class companies like Salesforce, Twilio, Katera, and more. To connect with our team of creatives, you can reach us at info at themission.co. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.